Turn this morning to Luke chapter number 5. Also bring you greetings from the church that you've never met, which is in Jericho, Vermont. This is where I worship when I am gone on vacation. And uh, they are they're beginning small groups. Um, that's not a result of me per se, um, but they've been talking about it for several years. And so they're literally in the middle of it. So it was exciting to be with our Vermont family there and uh, be able to share in service with them two Sundays. It's always good to have people of God all around, wherever you go, find a place to worship God, because he's the same God everywhere. Amen, amen. Pray for Brother Brian as well. He's got shingles. Pray for Brother Brian and Sister Lynn's marriage. They are in disagreement about what to do with those shingles. So I got an email this morning from Sister Lynn that he was going to urgent care. I called Brian to ask him if he was going to urgent care, and he said, no, that's false information. (laughs) I said, I think I'll leave that in your marriage then. We'll just leave it there. So I'm leaving it in their marriage, but very publicly. (laughs) For which Sister Lynn will come and pat me on the hand very gently and say, oh, Brother Steve. I know this doesn't make anybody feel any better, but I do know that I'm a pain to have as a pastor. I am aware of that. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving yourself to me. I do realize I do not fit the normal mode of a pastor. Thank you for allowing me to fulfill my calling despite my deficiencies. Luke chapter number five. Once when he was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, what we typically know as the Sea of Galilee. The crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. So he climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. Did I switch? I did switch translations. I apologize. Let's back up so that you all aren't confused. That was a swipe. Sorry. I knew when I got to the pulpit part, this is sounding like uh, Eugene Peterson. This is not sounding correct. All right, let's back up. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Please tell me you did not switch to the message. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So he got some sound effect, if you will, by being out on the water, his voice being echoed and being carried into the shore better. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, there's a couple of things that you have to understand about this that I do know, and I'm not a major fisherman, okay? But I do know this. The reason that Jesus in the daytime is finding boats with fishermen who have just come in and are now cleaning their nets is because your typical time to fish with nets is at night. Because the fish come up to the surface at night. 
We know from other passages that they would go out and fish at night. Nowhere in the story thus far, and we're going to see this confirmed, do we see the boats being filled with fish? Do we see them cleaning fish? Do we see them? No, they are, the boats are in. The boat was empty enough for Jesus to get on it, and the fishermen are cleaning their nets. So Jesus says, go outwards deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Well, this is not a good proposition because that's not how you net fish. It's daytime. The fish are deeper. They may even be semi-dormant, sleeping, relaxing, whatever fish do. I don't know what proper terminology to use there, but they're not as active. But the second problem Peter, Simon, addresses. He says, Master, we worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch a thing. So, Lord... We worked the proper time. We went out when we were supposed to go out. We did what we were supposed to do, and we still came up empty. Now you're telling us to go out when we shouldn't go out. You're telling us to go out where experience says this isn't going to work. You're telling us to go at a time when we shouldn't go and to do something that we shouldn't do. But if you say so, he says, I'll let the nets down again. My freshly cleaned nets. My nets I'm going to have to clean again because you want me to do this. This story is is typically used by us preachers to portray Peter as lacking faith. And he clearly does lack faith. But I'd like everybody to please note something. He doesn't lack faith any faith because the start of faith as James makes very clear is obedience in a world that is looking for the I'm not done with my text but in a world that is looking for the miraculous the miraculous that seemingly is controlled by humans prophets speakers preachers teachers Faith becomes the commodity that is hard to argue with. So if what you want to have happen doesn't happen, you can lay it off on a lack of faith. But obedience is much more definable. Obedience is something that you either did it or you didn't. And the reason that scares people, the reason that prophets and preachers and teachers and others who, whether purposefully or inadvertently, cast themselves as being the ones able to do the miracles and the gifts of healing, which, by the way, I think, are we on miracles and gifts of healing? I went and sneaked a peek at what our small groups were looking at. I think we are. We're looking at that either this past week or and this coming week, so... I have been out of town, so I had, to, I had to orient a little bit there, but I think that's what we're dealing with. The problem with it is we want to control it. Can I break some news to you? Miracles and gifts of healing, by definition, are God breaking our physical world's rules. 
They are God breaking his creation's rules. Now, rational people, particularly Germans, I'm not against Germans, it just happens to be rational people, particularly Germans, have a problem with God breaking his own rules, okay? And so they, they rationalize all of the miracles and all of the gifts of healing and all of these kinds of things. They rationalize them all away. They turn them into all kinds of things. And I won't bore you with all of that, but I got newsflash. They're dead and God's still doing miracles and he's still doing healings. That's a fact. But here's another fact. He does them when he wants to. He does them when he chooses to. In other words, he doesn't give up his sovereignty, and because I've been given the gift of healing or because I've been given a powerful anointing for miracles to happen, he doesn't operate like a puppet on a string. I don't get to tell him when and how and what to do. I'd really like for that to happen. Not only would I do good for the world, but I would be a rich man. That might be why he doesn't give it to me. That might be why he doesn't give it to you either. I do know he doesn't share his glory with any, so that's part of the deal. And I also know that he has a plan, and he works in this world, and the miracles and the gifts of healing and all of these things that operate, he doesn't do them for the reasons we think he does them. For instance, if he heals you today, he's not doing it because he wants you to live forever. It is destined, it is appointed unto you to die once and then the judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, face it, one way or the other, either by the trumpet or by death, you are not going to live forever. At least not in this status. You've got to go through his life-transforming process, and you've got to have his life-transforming process that's involved. This body is not going to survive. So whether you die of cancer or the trumpet sounds, I got news flash for you. God's in control. God's in control. And so I think part of the reason that God breaks his own physical rules that he created, the world in which he created these rules, there's a rule that I know I count on. It's called gravity. I do not walk on air. Right alongside of that is I don't walk on water, yet we know from the Gospels that Jesus walked on water. So I don't know how the Germans would work this. They'd say he didn't really do it. Maybe he had stones that he knew were placed strategically. But the reality is that God broke his own rules. He did something that is not physically possible. He did something that was not physically possible. And if you don't believe me, you can do it very safe. I have an experiment for you. It's very easy for you to try it out. Okay, you ready for this? You go home, you fill your bathtub. You pray and fast. You can take two days if you want. The water will be there. It'll be fine. Take as much time as you want. Get as spiritual as you need to be. Get a hold of all the gifts of the Spirit. Get God to download them all to you. He isn't going to do it, but you can make yourself think he did. Now, you, you can leave your clothes on if you really got faith. You can leave your good shoes on if you really got faith. You go ahead and do it. But I would suggest you go with a little bit more... Um, Humility, take your shoes off. And see if you can walk on water. You won't fall. You won't hurt yourself. I'm nearly 100% sure that you're going you're gonna to step through until you hit something solid. Because you don't know how to walk on water. None of us know how to walk on water. It's not the way our physical world works. So when I see that Jesus walked on water, I know he broke his own rules. 
And my point to you this morning is, is that he breaks his own rules for his own purpose, not my purpose. That's the part that's pernicious. That's the part that I don't like. That's the part that's irritating to me because I can't tell God when to do what he's going to do. I can't force God to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. I don't have control of it. But Peter, despite his doubt, despite the knowledge he had of the sea, despite the knowledge that he had that he, this is not the right time, Jesus. This is not when we should be going out. This is not when the net should be going down. This is not when you fish. He had enough faith that at the word of Jesus, he put the nets down. And the scripture simply says in verse number six, this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish, and they were so filled with fish that the boats themselves were on the verge of sinking. In the middle of the day, after they had been fishing all night long when they were supposed to and caught nothing. My thought this morning, if you put my title slide up, is do it again. Now, this makes a lot of sense to me because I know where I'm going. But when I gave this to the AV, Nick said to me, oh, it's like the song, do it again, Lord, do it again. Well, actually, this doesn't have to do with the Lord, do it again. I'm not here to preach to you about Jesus giving us a great catch of fish. I'm not even here to preach to you about Jesus pouring out the Holy Ghost again or, or Jesus uh, touching blinded eyes and they seen or any of the miracles that can happen and that he is able to do. Sister Carol Mitchell, you're supposed to be dead. But you're not. Because the Lord knows how to do the miraculous. It's, a, it's that simple, folks. Let's not forget the moments when God does the miraculous in our midst. And not a one of us get to take much credit for it because we didn't even know what was going down. The only person here that knew she was near death was Nick. The rest of us, I don't even think we prayed that spiritually. I'm sorry, Sister Carol. I wish we could say that we immediately sensed in the spirit to move into a season of travail, and to move heaven and earth and the thrones, but that's not what we did. You had disrupted our service, and we didn't know what else to do. Oops! Is that too real for you? Is that too honest for you? That's honestly what happened. She's over there falling out. Somebody's letting me know that something's wrong. I can't keep preaching. Nick comes down and starts doing physical assessment. I don't know what's going on. I didn't know that Troy had already gone out and called the ambulance. I'm thankful for that, but I figured a good thing to do while we waited, what happened was, hey, y'all, let's pray. And now, lest you look at me with some bad attitude, you all weren't really all that spiritual either. I mean, you bowed your head, but I didn't hear sounds of wailing or great movements of the heavens or anything. No, we, we prayed. And I think our prayers matter. Don't get me wrong. But understand the sovereign Lord, by the time she'd gone from that pew to that ambulance, had raised her up. That's 
That's the God I serve. He broke the physical rules. She should be dead. She's alive. That doesn't mean she's going to live forever in this body, in this life. No, there's going to come a day, if I live long enough and she lives long enough, I'll probably be somewhere involved with her funeral. I'll put an arm around your shoulder, Amir, as you cry. God works sovereignly. God is sovereignly in control of what goes on within this world. But do not mistake that God is a healer. Do not mistake that God is a miracle worker. Do not mistake. He is able to do anything he chooses to do. And the reason this is important for you and I to understand is because he's so capable and he's so powerful God has patience unlike anything I have. Do you know why I lose patience? Because I've done everything I know to do, and I get frustrated. I'll leave that one. That's a, that's a freebie for you, okay? Everybody, you file that away. The next time you find yourself frustrated, analyze what you're dealing with. The reason you are frustrated is because you've done everything you know to do. You don't know what else to do, and therefore you're frustrated. When I work with people, I get frustrated because I do everything I know to do, and then I don't know what else to do, and I lose patience. See, God's never out of options. That's why he's so patient. That's why he's so kind, because he's never out of options. Oh, you're not listening on that? I'll wreck your life even more. Oh, you didn't get that lesson clear? I will come in and help you see that clearer. Oh, you're about to break? I'll give you a little strength to help you from breaking. He's never out of options. But the problem is, is that you and I have set up a dynamic about Jesus that says he has rules that constrain him. Now, I'm not here to tell you that God is not consistent with who he is. I'm not here this morning to tell you that he is not righteous, that he is not pure, that he is not just. But I'm telling you the rules that we have built up about what God does and when he'll do them and what it works as and who he'll forgive and who he'll save, all of these rules are not coming from God. They're coming from us trying to understand God. Now, the reason this won't work, he tells us. He says, you cannot understand me because my ways are not your ways. You cannot understand me because my thoughts, they are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, that's the distance between your thinking and therefore understanding and my thinking and therefore acting. I don't understand this, God. I don't understand when he breaks the rules and when he doesn't break the rules. I don't have an answer for you why he provides for his people sometimes and other times he lets us go through trial and tribulation. I don't understand why there's stories, miraculous stories, stories from the mission field of gunfire and, and the clothes they're wearing with literal bullet holes and yet the bullets never went through their bodies. How does God do that? And yet at the same time, I have stories of people who have been killed. 
There's a reason I have the conversations I have with my children before I leave. And I say it to you as well before I leave for some of the crazy places that I go because I fully anticipate that God could choose to allow me to die in that place because he's sovereign. But I also know that there's a chance he may do the miraculous. There's a chance I end up in a fiery furnace and he shows up there with me and I walk out without a singe of smoke upon me. Peter had a set of rules. They made sense. And according to his experience, they were true. If you had talked to Peter's father and mother, they probably had taught him those rules. Because typically, you became what your parents were. We know this happened with their buddies, James and John. They were the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee had the boats. We all have rules. We have things that are built into us about how the world works. And we pick them up. They're cultural, mostly. They come down to us from our parents, but our parents didn't get them totally honestly because they got them from their parents who got them from their parents who got them from their parents who got them from their parents. My wife likes to do DNA and ancestry work. And the more work that she does on the Beardsley side, she says... There's a reason, this isn't her exact wording, this is mine for funny factor, but it's still what she's saying. I'm telling you, it's what she's saying, even though she doesn't use these words. She says, there's a reason you people are snotty. (laughs) You come from snotty background. She says, you also come from weird people. Like, they were on the spectrum somewhere. I probably represent that. That's all passed down to me. My father's grandfather begins taking care of the farm at 12 years of age. No joke. Now I know why he left you and Lloyd out there and said, take care of the field. Exactly. What's the problem? I did it. You do it. I've heard you say that to me. (laughs) Here we go. Generation to generation to generation. This man was a farmer. This man was a lawyer. This man was a math and history teacher. This man was a politician. He ran in Michigan against, it was Gerald Ford, right? Ran against Gerald Ford. Not for president, but for his congressional seat. Can I break some news to you? I don't care how many generations of fishermen Peter was in. I don't care how long they had fished this sea. I don't care how long that they had learned how the fish worked and how all of the rules worked. In that moment, the rules didn't apply. So Jesus says, put your nets down. Get some fish. But I worked all night, Jesus, and I didn't get any fish. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. 
I'm grumpy. I'm probably worried. He's like, I got bills to pay, and I don't have anything to take to the market. I don't have any ability to make any sales today. There are no fish. And you want me to put the effort of taking us out into the deep. That means I got to row my way out there. And then you want me to stick my fish, my nets, my clean nets down into that water again and to do it again. And I know it's not going to work. Jesus, if you were going to show up, you should have showed up last night. Have you ever thought that to him? Lord, if you were going to show up, you should have showed up. Hello, is anybody listening to me? It's not that I don't believe you, Jesus, but your timing stinks. Come on, am I the only one that thinks that? Come on, don't, don't let your preacher hang out here, okay? Your timing stinks. We're not having a problem believing you're a miracle worker, but you didn't show up in time. You hear Mary and Martha throwing that sentiment. Jesus, if you had just shown up when he was sick, you could have healed him. Why are you waiting until this moment? Now you're boxed in. Somebody needs to hear me today. God is never boxed in. Ever. By anything. He's not boxed in by your sin. He's not boxed in by your culture. He's not boxed in by your mistakes. He's not boxed in by your neighbors. He's not boxed in by his church. God is not boxed in ever. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, and he will do what he will do when he chooses to do it. And if we would read the Gospels with fresh eyes, it screams at us. I don't follow the rules. That's why he got in trouble with the Pharisees. He wouldn't follow the rules. Rules meant to guard his laws. Then he even broke his laws. There's no question. There's no question. There's no question. The adulterous woman was in the act of adultery. What does the law of Moses say? You take her and you stone her. Now, you should have taken her and the guy she was having adultery with, but, but you take them outside the city and you stone them. And they thought they were going to box him in. So they brought her, probably in a state of undress, threw her at his feet and said, what's he going to do, teacher? How you going to act? Because the law of Moses says anyone caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. What do you say? Now, the reason I love that story is because we see God just get all creative. <laughs> the next time you try to boss God around, good luck with that. I've been trying it a little bit lately, and it ain't working. He just, he's silent. He scribbles in the ground. He turns the question from her sin to their sin. Woo! Better watch yourself when you're ready to condemn your brother or your sister. You better watch yourself. It might turn real fast to you. 
God was being kind. God was being merciful. God was giving you time and space. But boy, when you start pointing your finger, when you start going after your brother or your sister, suddenly you're going to find God flips that baby on you. Suddenly you're going to be staring at a righteous God who says, what about you? I'm going to err on the side of mercy. I'm just telling you that right now. I believe in righteousness, and I live righteousness. I am a holiness preacher. I don't back down from that. But I'm telling you, I'm erring on the side of mercy. I'm erring on the side of grace. I do not err on the side of judgment because I do not want him to flip that equation on me. I want mercy and grace. My parents raised me holiness. They raised me upright. They are severe people. You know this. I tell you this all the time. They are wolves. They do not play around. But every single time I would climb even close to the judgment seat, those eyebrows would go up. Mama's intensity finger would come out. And before you know it, they're looking at me going, son, don't go there. Do not go there because God will bring it back down on your head. You pray for mercy. You give grace. You don't go there. You can't pay that bill. Judge yourself. Don't judge others. That's why I'm going to be so glad when I don't have to be a pastor because I have to set leadership and all this kind of malarkey, and it feels awfully close to judgment, and I don't like it. It wigs me out. It's like, ooh, I don't want to get near that. But I have to. I, I got I to gotta lead in the house of God. We got to be orderly. And so I, uh, but, boy, we're going to err on the side of mercy and grace. We're going to bend over backwards. We're going to be dysfunctional. And I'm a guy that doesn't like to be dysfunctional, but we are going to be dysfunctional so that you are loved before you're judged. We are going to be dysfunctional so that you are given every latitude to make it to heaven with us. I ain't praying anybody out of the church. I'm not asking that God take anybody anywhere because I want all the mercy and the grace that he can give to me. And the last time I checked... He doesn't follow his own rules at times. Because he looks at that woman who's adulterous and says, neither do I condemn thee. Stop sinning. I don't know how he did that. I don't know why he did that. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will judge who I will judge. And I'm not answering to any of you about it. So returning to Peter, Peter had all the rules that said, I've already tried this, Jesus, and it didn't work. My title this morning is simply to say to somebody, who thinks you know it's not going to work. Do it again. I don't care how many times you've let your nets down. Do it again. I don't care how many times you've repented of that sin. Repent again. I don't care how many times you've asked for the Holy Spirit. Ask again. I don't care how many times you've failed in your marriage. Try again. I don't care how many times you've disappointed yourself and your family. Get up and try again. 
Some of you have come here today and you're waiting for your interaction with me. You're wondering what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say or you're looking for the church's reaction. Can I tell you what you're going to get from us? You're going to simply get from us a hug and love and a simple statement. Let's try again. Let's try again. Because the God that I serve does not lose patience. He does not grow frustrated. He is playing a long game. And no, your sin and my sin doesn't feel good. No, your sin and my sin is not the best for us. And he wants the best for us. But please hear me, dear church, today. God is a God who breaks his own rules. And his mercy is able to take his judgment. The reason Calvary is so powerful is because God, who is righteous and just, stepped to this earth in human form and he placed himself perfect and without sin upon that cross and he exacted of that being the cost for sin because when it comes to judgment versus mercy God is picking mercy every single morning his mercies are new his grace is greater than any sin please hear me today do it again whether it's praying the prayer whether it's getting up from sin whether it's repenting whether it's going back to your brother and sister and making it right whether it's coming to church and getting your life straight again whether it's starting your tithes and your offerings and your missions again I don't care what you're facing do it again do not stop because all the rules even the ones we think we can get from God himself you're not going to box him in This is not permission for us to trample on his grace. This is not permission to trample on his mercy. This is not permission for us to ignore his commandments. But it is permission for us to understand that whatever you think you understand about God, it probably is skewed because he operates according to his sovereign will and he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will judge whom he will judge. If you're willing to do it again, you might find yourself go from a place of destitution and loss of hope to a place of the miraculous because the God I serve has a moment where it breaks through in every one of our lives we move from the place of profound brokenness to a little bit more healing and you never know when that moment's going to come you don't have to feel it I told many of you, if you weren't here and didn't hear it, I told many of you in my holiness message, and I'm a holiness preacher, that as a young boy, at least by 12, if not younger, I was exposed to pornography on a school property nonetheless. Someday I'll go into more details. I've told you all that. Me and God are talking about how to go, go forward with this. You know me. I know how to blow the world up. I just want to do it responsibly. Let me just tell you that there was an awful lot of times that I walked into church 
and all the rules said I shouldn't be here. I remember as I talked with my parents at certain junctures, and they never rejected me, and they walked with me. The same love that they've extended to you, they extended to me. If I remember correctly, it was my dad that asked me, because those of you that have lived in the world and then you come to God, this is opinion. Please understand, this is not scripture. I do not have scripture for this. This is my experience. Those of you that have lived in the world and then you come to God, there's such profound brokenness in the world and there's such a profound rupture of your life that brings you into God that many times that rupture leads you to have a sharp break with that preceding life. And those of you that have memory, you remember my dad talking about life in the 60s and the 70s, places he's went, things he'd seen, all this kind of thing. And he told me even more than he told you. Please hear me. Those of you that are that, please hear me. Those of us who grew up in the church, we are sinners just like you. We are broken just like you. We fall short of the glory of God just like you. And we do every single one of those broken things. We do every single one of those things of falling short with full knowledge of God's truth. There's never been a moment I haven't known what was truth. There's never been a moment. I, at six years of age, God filled me with his spirit. There's never been a moment. It's not that we don't love God. It's just he don't follow all of our rules. I remember my dad, if I remember correctly, my dad saying to me, son, how did you go to church? And I'll never forget. I looked at him and I said, dad, where else would I go? What hope do I have if I can't go to church? I'm talking to somebody this morning. I didn't plan to talk about this this morning. So somebody here needs to hear me. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Do not, do not, do not take yourself away from the kingdom. Don't do it. Don't listen to the rules of your flesh. Don't listen to your misunderstanding of God's righteousness. Do not go anywhere but here. Stay in the kingdom because you don't know when God's going to speak and something's going to break. Something's going to change. Some rule is going to get broken and the miraculous and the healing is going to happen. And when that moment happens, everything changes. Hallelujah. Throw your nets back in the sea. Just don't go anywhere. Because God is calling to you saying, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. If you got to repent again, repent again. If you got to show up again, show up again. If you got to cry again, cry again. If you got to shout again, shout again. Do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again until he moves. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm here telling you that God is sovereign and he's a miracle worker. God is sovereign and he's a healer. 
He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. Hallelujah. There's hope here today, not condemnation. There's love here today, not judgment. Hallelujah. Your sin has enough condemnation in it. We don't need to add to it. Your brokenness has enough wrong in it. We don't need to tell you about that. Be reconciled to God. Do it again. Whatever do it is, whatever it is you got to do, do it again. Just refuse to stop. Just refuse to give up. Just refuse, refuse, refuse to give up because God has not given up on you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you need this altar, it's open. But we're already praying, so if you're all right where you're at, just worship him right now. Just do whatever it is you need to do.